0: i my God, is still cold! The Hellraiser is full! Here we go! Evolution of the Shield! John Cena versus the her. Hulk Hogan and The Rock in the same ring! You will never take my place at the head of the table! Undertaker! With a Haskell submission! Oh my God! What? My God, Michaels! Just kick Cena's head off! The
1: it will be The Raw! It will be Austin! One-on-one! Oh. The Do you believe in Miracle?
2: The streak is over! Hey, what's up guys, and welcome back to WWE Retro on the WWE podcast on this Friday, July 15th, as we are just two weeks away from the July version of uh, SummerSlam. I believe Matt has mentioned a few times, but it feels like the first time in honestly, in my lifetime, that SummerSlam will be taking place in July. It always felt like more of a August 15th type of event. It was always around my my cousin's birthday and uh, her birthday is August 19th. And I remember we always used to get together when we were kids to watch it and it would always fall right around the end of summer vacation, right around her birthday. And one thing that made news today, which I want to touch on a bit, uh, or not today, yesterday rather, that I want to touch on a bit before we get into our episode on retro is WWE going back to TV 14? That is massive news. And I actually think Matt and I had covered it back when before we changed we brand, rebranded our Monday show to the current state of WWE. And we talked about what if, and I think we had talked about what if WWE ever went away from TVPG. And this is something I never thought, or Matt ever thought, would be possible. I find it borderline stunning that WWE is taking this leap of faith. Because the fact that it's a publicly traded company, there's shareholders, and the current environment that we live in right now... I don't really want to use the word cancel culture because I think that's kind of a made-up term, but let's say an overly sensitive um, culture and so many things that have become taboo that, let's say, weren't 20, 25 years ago, and many of them rightfully so, I never thought WWE would plunge back into more of a mature product and that they would continue to play it safe with... TV that was mostly geared for children. TV that was suitable for anyone 8 years old and up to watch and consume on a week-to-week basis. Now, even though they're going to TV 14, does that does that um, mean, at least to myself, that they're going to start having bra and panties matches again and objectifying women and, you know, having uh, tag teams come to the ring known as the lesbians or not tag teams, just wrestlers or performers known as the lesbians no of course not there are certain things that I don't expect to return that we saw on WWE television 20-25 years ago when it was geared for a mature product and it was TV 14 because those are things that I don't even think really have to do with being mature I just think it's kind of being juvenile obviously like I don't think it's funny objectifying women I don't think it's good television objectifying women I think that as a a society we've kind of moved past that and for the better but I do think that it's going to come in a way that just more mature content more mature storylines maybe less of slapstick humor that is meant to make 10 year olds laugh or, you know, maybe they don't do this exactly, but things that are kind of on the same level as fart jokes, or, you know, running single file after the 24-7 championship, or let's say like the Viking Raiders, or the um, or Otis eating, you know, food, and because they're on the heavier side of life, or just anything like that, food fights, I think those are things that we may go see by the wayside here. And maybe in matches, we'll see a bit of blood. Obviously, AEW has pushed the envelope a lot in that regard. Almost too much so on some, sometimes, specifically John Moxley, who I think it's kind of like getting to a point of a law of red- diminishing returns. But I'm really interested to see where WWE goes with this and how much their product could improve. Because I'm not going to lie, ever since WrestleMania, I don't think it's been too good. I think that unifying the world championships and putting it on a part-time guy in Roman Reigns has really hurt their product. And that isn't really uh, the like directly correlated to it being TV 8 or going to TV 14. That's just, you know, creative in general and his reduced work schedule. But now with them going back to TV 14, I wonder if that opens things up here to really dive into new ways to attract audiences because, you know, I know many people, let's say my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, my dad, several of my friends who used to watch wrestling back in the late 90s, early 2000s and always talk about like, ah, you know, it's not the same as it once was. And I don't think, like I said, it's going to go back to exactly the way it once was. But when they went to PG8, they lost a lot of their classic fans because I don't think people realize it. But like it used to be, you know, not frowned upon as an adult male to, you know, consume Monday Night Raw or SmackDown, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I think their base demographic were males 17 to 35, if I'm not mistaken, you know, my dad fit in that mold back in those days give or take, maybe late 30s, but right around that age bracket. So I'm really curious to see how this unfolds for WWE. And I wonder if the Vince McMahon um, investigation has anything to do with it, that they're just trying to throw a Hail Mary, or by they I mean Vince McMahon more specifically, is he trying to throw a Hail Mary to get people back watching? Maybe people have tuned out because in protest against him. Or maybe they just want to get WWE back on the on the uh, mainstream media. I don't know. I have no idea what brought this upon. But there are certain guys here that I am really interested interested to see work in a non-PG environment. And at the forefront of those, I would say... Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins, two guys who are have arguably been the face of the company for the last five, six, seven, eight years, and two guys who are heels at the moment. Roman Reigns, obviously the undisputed champion. Seth Rollins, arguably the biggest star on Monday Night Raw right now. I'm really curious to see how these two work within the confines of, of TV-14. That's going to be really, really interesting to me. And another thing is, is I'm really curious to see how the women's storylines are developed. Again, not in any way to suggest that they should go back to Braun and panties matches or objectify them or sexualize them in any way. But more in the sense that we never got to see like true women's wrestling and storytelling within TV 14, aside from, let's say, Trish and Lita. But even Trish and Lita, I would say 50% of the time they were wrestling and storytelling and 50% of the time they're being objectified and sexualized. So, I mean, I'm curious to see like the likes of Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, especially Rhea Ripley with her new character part of, um, I almost said the Ascension, Judgment Day, when Charlotte returns, Ronda Rousey, like these are all women that I think are true superstars and i'm really interested to see how they work in a non pg environment because like i said aside from like the odd program here and there of let's say victoria versus trish or trish versus alita something like that i'm they never really got a true run within tv14 in it within a tv14 landscape so it's going to be very very interesting here to see how the women operate and last and certainly but not least how long is this going to last you would have to imagine that they're going to give this at least a several year run because it would i don't think wwe is a company that would admit to failure in short order and i think that this is going to be something that they really explore for a decent amount of time here because you have to think that something is going on behind the scenes that they're losing money or losing ratings or something, something is going on for them to have done this. It's not just them after 14 years saying, you know what? All those 20 to 30 year old guys, they have a point. Let's go back to the way it was. Something must have broke behind the scenes. Something must have come to a head behind the scenes. And I am very interested To see how this all plays out. And I'm interested to see how many people, even within my personal circle, double back on WWE and give it a new chance. It's 14 years. This is a 14 year in the making return for TV 14. And you think about all the things that went down since the last time that they were TV 14, the Rocks returned. Pretty much John Cena's entire run, Randy Orton's almost his entire run, The Shield, all that. It's crazy how many things have gone on since this company was TV-14. And it's going to be very interesting. But enough about that. I'm sure I'll talk about with Matt this coming Monday on The State of WWE. But let's get into retro here. As last week, we talked about the rise of John Cena to the main event. And this week, we're going to talk about the rise of Dave Batista to the main event. As his career, at least in the early stages, kind of ran parallel to John Cena on Monday Night Raw while Cena was on SmackDown. And Batista really got his feet wet in WWE. And I'm not going to talk about Deacon Batista when he was Reverend Devon's henchman, but when he joined Evolution. And when he joined Evolution for nothing more than a heavy, it was a guy that I don't think was supposed to amount to much in WWE. He got hurt right away. Randy Orton came back first. They thought about replacing him with Mark Jindrak and Batista just kind of seemed like an extra. You know, he was about Triple H's age, which people didn't really realize at the time. So, he wasn't he certainly wasn't the present guy that was Triple H. Ric Flair was the past, and Randy Orton was the future. So what did Batista really play a role in with evolution? You had the past, present, future, and Batista. (laughs) And he was supposed to just be the heavy. But it took him a while to really kind of find a niche. And the first time he really made an impact is shortly after his return, when he attacked none other than Bill Goldberg. So a pretty significant return for Batista as he capitalizes on the bounty put on Goldberg by Triple H and the rest of Evolution and returning after I believe he was six or out for six or seven months since uh, late February, early March. This happens in October and he absolutely brutalizes a guy who had just run through the entire WWE locker room, you know, walks in. Takes out The Rock, comes in, takes out Chris Jericho, and then eventually dethrones Triple H, who had held the World Heavyweight Championship for almost an entire calendar year, save for one month when Shawn Michaels held it in late 2002. So not only does he show up and make a hellacious impact, but he does it on the guy who is the current World Heavyweight Champion on Monday Night Raw, and the guy who was had been seemingly unstoppable since he showed up in the company back in March, and this was October. So Batista instantly really starts taking this opportunity by the horns. He helps Team Bischoff defeat um, Team Stone Cold Steve Austin at Survivor Series 2003. Randy Orton was on that team. Batista was not, but he get, he intervenes and helps Bischoff win. And then it is at Armageddon in two thousand and three in December when Batista, along with Rick with Ric Flair, would cement themselves as legitimate players on Monday Night Raw representing evolution. <laughs>
1: through all of the teams. And there is one team who has yet to compete. What? Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce to you Batista and the Nature Boy, Rick Flyer.
2: Batista and Ric Flair get an opportunity to win the tag team titles, and they capitalize. And this was the beginning of Batista starting to get more prime time segments. You know, leading into 2004, he gets involved in the Mick Foley and Randy Orton storyline which leads to Evolution versus The Rock and Sockland Connection in a three two handicap match at WrestleMania, a match that Evolution would win. He would have still some lower-end storylines. He would drop the tag team titles with Ric Flair, eventually to Booker T and Rob Van Dam. And then in the summer of 2004, he kind of gets involved in the Intercontinental Championship picture after Randy Orton... Uh, Loses the championship, is in a triple threat match at SummerSlam against Chris Jericho and Edge, does not capitalize on that title. And then obviously, SummerSlam 2004 is the big night for Randy Orton when Randy Orton wins the World Heavyweight Championship for the first time. The next time, Monday Night Raw, Evolution turns on him, and that's the end as we know it for Randy Orton as a part of Evolution. Unfortunately, the plan for WWE to have Randy Orton be pushed as the top tier babyface over on Monday Night Raw did not work out right away by any stretch of the imagination. It totally flopped. So much so that he dropped the World Heavyweight Championship at the very next pay-per-view back to Triple H at Unforgiven 2004. So this is where WWE was left kind of back at square one as to where they were. In let's say 2003 post Goldberg where they could not find a true top consistent sustainable babyface to contend against Triple H. Goldberg had now left the company. Chris Benoit's title run was run and done. Randy Orton flopped as a babyface. So you still had an open spot there for someone to step up to Triple H. And organically, and I truly believe that this was organic, people started to get behind Batista. Slowly but surely, people started to really get behind Dave Batista. And it was something to be seen. And it was slowly starting to happen as we creep towards Survivor Series in around 2004, in November rather. And you could just sense some of the tension starting to rise between Triple H and Batista and WWE testing the waters on how the fans would receive such a program. I
1: barely walked out of there with a world title, so don't tell me about you having my back. No, Rick, you know what? I'm not going to calm down. He's here for one reason. At Survivor Series, I told you, make sure we won that didn't work out too well did it no and then I very slowly explained to him so that he could understand it easy no not easy what was supposed to happen last week with Maven and that didn't work out so well either did it huh I barely walked out of there with the belt around my waist and now I've got Benoit in a cage and you tell me you got my back well pardon me if I'm not that excited about it come on come on come on come on please please re reunit, come on no Listen, I put this group together for a reason, and that is so that I wouldn't have to jump through hoops every week. You need to calm down. Now you're Now you think you're going. I got a match with Jericho. I'm gonna go get ready for. it. Is that okay with you? Are you got a match with Jericho, yeah. huh? Yeah. Yeah. Hundred bucks says you lose that oh, too. Yeah, come on. Hey, 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 hey.
2: So you start to hear the crowd start to get behind Batista whenever he would step up to Triple H. And <laughs> WWE would continue to start draw to continue to drop hints between friction between Triple H and Batista throughout this show. And I still firmly believe it was to gain kind of a a barometer as to where the fans' interest would be on such a program. Wanna go get your
1: wallet and get me later. Hunter, I am not in the mood. The bottom line is, I walked out of that ring. Chris Jericho is now being carried out. No. The bottom line is I told you to win that match and you blew it. That's the problem. By the way, stop interrupting me! The problem is you blew it. You lost. The problem is you got a million-dollar body and a 10-cent brain. What? Now, I need somebody that I can rely on, and if that ain't you, then maybe I need to find somebody that I can rely on. You do, do that, Hunter. Do it! Screw you.
2: And there's the reaction again. You could feel that people were starting to get behind Batista organically every time he stepped to Triple H. Eventually, the World Heavyweight Championship would be vacated, and it would, it would go to the Elimination Chamber match at New Year's Revolution in January of 2005 for the vacated World Heavyweight Championship, a match that included Edge, Chris Jericho, is Benoit, Randy Orton, Triple H, and Batista, HBK, the special guest referee for the vacated World Heavyweight title. And they came down to Orton, Batista, and Triple H. And there was a part of that match where Randy Orton hit the RKO on Batista. And you could see Triple H was able to get up to save him. And he sat back down in the corner and let Orton pin Batista for the one, two, three. So, by the time you get to the Royal Rumble 05, this had been going on and brewing for like two, two and a half months. And when it finally came down to Batista and John Cena, there was an overwhelming desire for Batista to get the victory.
0: I think that is fair, but it doesn't really matter what you and I think. Yeah, you're right about that, but I don't know. Oh, my, come on, Cena, fight out of this. it's down to Cena and Batista, the final two for the FU, but not to be. overpowering John no.
2: And obviously that was the Royal Rumble that <laughs> Vince McMahon tore two quads en route to the ring to deal with a um with uh you know the confusion of both of them going out at the same time but this was like that the ending to that Royal Rumble was kind of a microcosm of where WWE was going with it coming down to John Cena and Batista and Batista getting that victory you really felt that It was brewing now that they were on a collision course, Triple H and and Batista, and they teased for a while Batista was going to go to SmackDown, JBL tried to run him over, and they really teased that, hmm, okay, is Batista going to go over to SmackDown to face JBL? And then it came down to the night for the contract signing between Triple H and Batista, and that iconic shot of Triple H telling Ric Flair about how he set up uh, that whole incident where he bought a limousine, he bought put horns on it, he put the JBL logo on it and made it seem like J- Batista or JBL was out to get Batista just to get Batista over to Smackdown. The camera pans out and you have the iconic shot of Batista listening around the corner to Triple H confess to all of this. And that's when when it came time for Batista to make his decision as to what champion he was going to face. The three, four month waited anticipation was coming to a head.
1: We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to the world, you and I, to walk that aisle with the nature boy, Ric Flair, side by side, owning this business. Doesn't seem like a difficult decision to me at all, Dave. It really doesn't. And I've got a feeling you know what you want to do, big man, don't you? You know what you want to do. Hunter, I've known what I was going to do for a long time.
0: Batista! What is he doing? What is that? My God, Batista, the first down to the, the world's champion! He's a, evolution's animal! He almost took Triple H's head off!
1: I'm staying right here on Raw. And on WrestleMania, I'm taking the world championship.
2: And there you have it. Batista finally turns, I guess, officially babyface, although he had been teetering on that for several months. And Rex, for lack of better words, uh, Triple H and Ric Flair, sends Triple H through the table. And that was history as Batista would go on to WrestleMania 21, defeat Triple H for the World Heavyweight Championship, and officially launch himself into the main event. And look, Batista certainly did not have the same career as John Cena. Certainly his return to the company in 2014 flopped hard. I think it ended on a high note, losing to Triple H at WrestleMania 35, which was very apropos, very fitting, considering their history, considering how Batista made it into the into the company and into the main event in the first place. And uh, I think when he went over to SmackDown, it kind of uh, took the wind out of his sails a bit when they swapped him and... Um, John Cena on the brands but all in all I think in 2005 you could argue that Batista's rise to the main event was all, was um, even more hot and more popular than that of John Cena obviously John Cena would overtake him In the long run, but Batista's rise to the main event certainly was something to behold in 2005. Anyway, guys, that's all I got for you today. I hope you enjoyed this week's of retro covering Batista's rise to the main event. And also my a couple of my thoughts on their return to PG-14. As always, you can get me on Twitter at Ademarco25. You can get Matt on Twitter at Wrestling underscore audio. Or you can email him each and every week for the WWE podcast mailbag.